Coach Edelstein here, your celeb expert and your celeb savant. Celeb Savant is a weekly entertainment show. We have long-form career retrospective type interviews with celebrities, singers, actors, and industry experts. This is The Kit, is the alias of British musician Kate Stables, as well as the band she fronts. Kate and the band This Is The Kit have been active in the music industry for a number of years. They've released a number of albums, namely Krill Bol in 2008, Regal Out of the Restless, 2010-2012, Bashed Out, 2015, Moonshine Freeze, 2017, Off Off On, 2020, and Careful of Your Keepers on 2023. They've released a number of singles and EPs over the years. They're recognized as one of the front runners of the folk rock and alternative rock genre for the last number of years. Up next on Celeb Savant, we've got Kate from This Is The Kit. Where do we find you in the world? How are you doing and what's happening in your life? So you can find me in Paris, in France, which is where I live. And uh, and I've already forgotten the other questions. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing and what's happening in your life? <laughs> I'm doing really well, thanks. Quite forgetful. Yeah, doing really good. What am I up to? Just released an album um, yes. earlier this month. So just doing that, doing this, having nice chats to people about it. I'm an avid follower of the music charts. And I okay. saw your new album, I think it got, it was in the top 40 on the UK charts. I was like, okay, I want to speak to them. <laughs> so that's mm, how it came nice. to you guys. So Great. leading off of that, mm-hmm. let's rewind all the way back to the beginning. So at whatever age that might be for you as a child, as a teenager, what was the point that you thought, okay, cool, I want to do music, create music, and how has that journey landed up to where we are today? I guess I started wanting to do music when I started listening to music and then sort of slowly learning how to play the songs of my favourite bands and stuff. I guess I was too superstitious or shy or didn't believe it could happen enough to actually say, I want this to be my job. I always kind of quietly, secretly hoped that it would be a big part of my life. Um, but I never presumed that it would be, that I'd be good enough to make a sustainable career out of it. Okay. <laughs> but so it, so it feels amazing that that has happened so far. That is what the situation is. I've sort of got a sustainable career at the moment. <laughs> and where does the name come from? Yeah, a few different, uh, prongs to the name. Partly it's because I like, I'm very, I very much like the idea of, having everything you need with you, like everything you need in life about your person, you know, spoon, knife, flannel, I don't know, whatever people need. (laughs) Uh, So this is the kit, it's partly that, but it's also because growing up, my family always called me Kit, it's just one of my names. And so it's partly that because it's my songs and so it's sort of This Is Me. And uh, I just like the sound, This Is The Kit. I just like certain saying certain phrases and certain noises is what I enjoy. I mean, that's how I write songs and that's how I sort of chose the band name as well. Just This is the kit. I don't necessarily think of it as a sentence all the time. It's just kind of a one-wordy sound to me. So then you said a little bit earlier, you never thought that it would accumulate to being your job or your Mm -hmm. career. From when, at that point, did you lead up to create 
the band and start. Yeah, how did this action? accident happen? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I guess it just was sort of gradual, slow fermentation process. Like when I was a teenager, I'd start learning other people's songs then I'd perform them at the local open mic night. Then I'd get braver and do some of my own songs. Then local promoters would like ask me to open for bands that were coming into town and stuff. You know, then I was getting my own gigs after that. And all this time it would kind of be supplemented. I'd either, I was either at, I was still at like sixth form college. And then after that, I left and got jobs. So I just kind of had jobs and did gigs as well then I moved to Bristol and the the ratio to jobs to music got a bit smaller so I was doing more music and a bit less jobs and then I moved to Paris a few years later and stopped the job completely and just did music and just sort of took that jump and then it you know when you kind of do those sort of risky leaps off the cliff quite often universe just sort of gives you a cloud to land on (laughs) and so yeah it's sort of been growing since then and I guess it started off just me on my own and then it would be me and whoever was around in the town where I'm playing, friends I knew or whatever. For a long time, it was kind of mainly me and my partner, Jesse, just as a duo. And then slowly, our friend Jamie was playing regularly on drums. Then Neil started joining in more on guitar. Then Rosie, a friend of mine from Winchester, where I grew up, was playing a bit of clarinet and doing some singing. And then she took over on the bass. The, the hardcore got established and now it's been, that's been the band now for a long time. Neil, Jamie, Rosie and me and Jesse when he can, because we sort of do parent tag teaming. So why uh, move to Paris? What was the calling for that? Just having a look, really. I think it's sort of quite good to live in a foreign country mm. when, if you get the opportunity. And we did get the opportunity. We had some friends that were living here and we were working with a record label that some friends were running here and just thought, let's go and have a look. And then we were sort of still having a look. 18-ish years later. <laughs> for me, like I w- I'd based in South Africa or live in South Africa, grew up, but I did live in Israel and London for a period just before lockdown. Okay, well, so I d- agree with you yeah. because it opens up your mind, opens up horizons and all those sorts of things. Yeah, just you learn different you stuff. Yeah. yeah, and you realize how different different cities and different countries are. I was mm. really naive coming here. I thought, oh, it'll be a bit like England, but people will be speaking French. But it's really different. Big culture shock, big time. Okay, <laughs> From zero mm-hmm. to a three to four minute song, right. what is the motivation? Is it an easy process every time? Is it the same process? Is it yourself just writing music? Let's dive into your creative process in June. It feels like it's different every time. But I wonder if I was to sort of leave my body and observe myself writing a song, it'd pro- I'd probably be like, oh, you do it the same every time. You know, I don't know. <laughs> so it's it's hard to tell. But basically, I'm someone that writes words down all the time, you know, out and about on the bus or whatever. And eventually, when I sort of carve out a bit of time to do some actual active songwriting, then I'll sit down with my guitar and banjo and try and find music that will go with what I've been writing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that happens and sometimes I just find music that is a new thing that then sprouts its own words that I haven't been working on already and then so that I guess gets me to the point of having a few words and a little bit of music and then it's like a sort of a stacking system almost a collage building of both things kind of inform each other the music influences how the words go and the words influence how the music goes and so it happens like that but it's slow. I'm such a slow coach. It takes me like months to write a song. I have oh, really? to like play it over and over again. And it's funny because my songs are quite short. They're quite 
simple they're quite repetitive and it's not anything but it's not I don't do bohemian rhapsodies but for me to sort of feel like I've chosen the right words and to feel like I've got the structure and the sort of energy right it takes me a lot of playing I kind of have to play them live really before they're finished in order for me to know is it because you're a perfectionist or is it just you're letting it the energy flow I don't think I'm a perfectionist because I like accidents and I like chance and I like just sort of chaos okay (laughs) but I do also like it being as good as I can make it. Like okay. I'm quite fussy about the words I use. Like, so I'm not gonna, yeah, I don't want to settle. I don't want to sort of compromise on something that isn't as good as I would like it to be. So I guess that's maybe okay. partly why it takes a long time. It's actually if in a certain way, each song is one of your children, so to speak. And you have to be. It's something that gets yeah. sent out a yes. spore of some description, a sort yes. of seed or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then how long did it, so your new album was just released. Um, yeah. So how long did it take for this album to be completed? If it takes you a while to complete one song? Well, I guess probably I can sort of start counting from when the last one came out in 2021. Okay. I mean, 2020, sorry. Yes. No, 2020. Maybe it came out in 21. Yes, because it was early 2020 that the world sort of yes. shut down, wasn't it? So then the album came out in 2021. Anyway, whatever. Since the last album came out, slowly writing and gathering bits together. And then um, once I'd had enough songs, and last October, me and the band went and kind of had a residency in West Cork in Ireland, where we just like bashed the songs into the right shape <laughs> and then uh, and then recorded them in last December in Bristol. Cool. So that's what's that? couple of years <laughs> well that, that's not too long i mean I, yeah I, could be could be could be worse yeah i mean when you said a few months i thought okay it would be like it was like 10 months 10 years in between the two albums but that's quite that's that's okay it's not too yeah too bad. it's all right could be worse the record label were okay with that gap <laughs> <laughs> so tell us more about the album about the songs mm. what are they about are there any favorites Yeah, let me see. So I guess the album ended up being quite a personal album. I didn't, I started off not seeing that coming. I sort of thought that it would be more of a sort of a general contemplation of the state of things and things that I've been thinking about outside of my life. But then it turned out to be very much uh, inside of my life type of album. But I mean, I think both things are always true. That's the thing with, with sort of words writing and songwriting. You always get this kind of all things are true all at once kind of, uh, uh, thing that happens. So yeah, quite a personal album, quite a difficult time, a sort of quite a sort of, um, extreme crab shell shedding, it feels like. And so the kind of writing and making of the album felt a bit like that. And now that it's out, it feels like I'm growing the new crab shell. And it's a little bit, it's still a bit soft if you poke it, but it's going to be stronger and bigger eventually. <laughs> so, you know, I've, I've spoken to a number of artists. I mean, like, And would you agree that songwriting is a form of therapy in a certain way? Yeah, in that anything that's good for you is therapy. Yes. Because um, cause you're processing stuff. I mean, I guess also, yeah, it's good for you, so it's therapy, but also you're processing stuff. You're using words and you're thinking about things and untangling stuff. Like for me, that's kind of how I find out about things, this songwriting. How I f- I, it's how I find out what I think. 
often I don't have an answer. It just end, results in a question. Like I feel like a lot of my songs just end up being questions more than kind of statements or answers. But I definitely feel like I'd be a less healthy person if I didn't write songs. So, yeah, probably that means, does that mean it is therapy? Yes, I think so. And also <laughs> it's maybe it's a, for some people it's a form of journaling, but in a different way, creating a song. Yeah. And, and then, it's just kind of part of our nutrition. It's part of our primary nutrition. We need it to sort of stay healthy. It's like an apple a day. Yes. You also need to sort of sing a song a day. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, the singing and the music, that they, they say, bring the endorphins to the brain and that, that yeah. happy drugs. So absolutely, completely. Yeah, because there's so many layers to it, isn't it? There's the writing process, which yes. is really crucial and sort of helpful and healthy. And then there's just the physical experience of singing and playing music. And I sort of forget to do it just stupid I know that it makes me happier and healthier and I don't do it every day it's only when I go on tour that I'm like sort of oh wow this feels amazing I'm singing every day and it's really good but yeah so when you're not touring and you're just in that period between are you not singing every day are you listening to music or or you no I mean I wish I was singing every day but yeah I guess you know when you're self you know it's like being self-employed there's just admin to do and then life happens and you know and there's like people ask you favors to do and things like that and so it it's normal that's life but part of life is mastering your own time and Mm. like when to do things that are really good for you and to sort of keep you healthy and that is something that I go in and out of habit good and bad habits with like sometimes you know I'll I'll have a little phase of like yeah going swimming every day great and then I'll have a little phase of like yeah doing a bit of singing every day and then I'll fall off the bicycle and then have to get back on again when you say bicycles I'm a spinning instructor so (laughs) oh nice great (laughs) so that's my release for (laughs) how often do people fall off their spinning bikes (laughs) not very often but the funny thing is that I'm an instructor so a lot of my friends and colleagues tease me I'm an instructor but I've actually never learned how to ride a bike (laughs) I don't know how to ride a normal bike that's great <laughs> because my class is like each... perfect scenario for that <laughs> they think it's mad like my class is each week like i bring in dumbbells we do boxing you know mm-hmm. you know different things and i the thought yeah. of being on a bicycle for three or four hours doing a race or whatever it's like no thank you <laughs> just oh, my, my bandwidth sorry. doesn't reach my attention yeah, is not yeah. that far <laughs> amazing amazing but once when you're outside your attention span just gets filled with all the stuff you gotta like get out of the way of and look yeah. <laughs> what do you enjoy about performing live oh i really love feeling of exchange and connection with the rest of the people in the room there's the audience and that's quite a powerful sort of energy exchange that happens and then there's the band and just playing with like people that you love who make music that you love is incredible and and for, so for me kind of playing live is possibly if I had to sort of rank the different ingredients of being a musician, it might be my favourite part of the job because I love travelling. I love meeting people and sort of having a sort of unexpected and you never know how it's going to go exchange with them. And again, I guess that feeling of sharing something. Yeah, it's really, it's really great. I like it. <laughs> so I've got a point of discussion. I have this discussion with a lot of artists. So I'm okay. that person who's right in front who's dancing, who's being there, being present in the moment. And I notice a lot of people around me have got their cell phones out, they're tweeting, they're tweeting, they're threading, Mm. they're taking pictures, they're taking videos. From the receiving end of that, do you find that it takes away from the connection or it's just where society is at the moment? Yeah, I guess with those those particular people that aren't, it's a two-way thing, isn't it? So, you know, you can feel which members of the audience are connecting with you and then you connect back with them. But I'm not going to sort of, 
force myself on anyone who's like texting <laughs> a mate or whatever. I don't, you know, they can do what they want. I mean, it's, it's, I don't think it's ever happened to me that a whole audience has been texting. Well, actually, that's not true. I've definitely been, I've definitely played gigs where people haven't been paying attention, whatever they've been doing, chatting, texting, you know, stuff like that. And I just think that's fair enough because I can still have a nice time with yes. my musicians. Sometimes there's usually there's one, at least one person in the audience who's like into it. And that's enough, really. I don't think, um, yeah, we can't force people to be into it. All you can do is sort of offer what you do at a gig. And then that's, and then the magic happens when people sort of connect back or not. I mean, I I suppose the thing is that they are there. They wouldn't have been there if they didn't want to. Yeah. I mean, there's always gigs that are like free to get in or there's a bar in the room or it's a wedding or whatever, you know. So there's always going to be moments when people are like, what the fuck is this? Like, we don't want to listen to this, you know. But I also think that that's okay. Different type of gigs have, I think it's really important to have all the different types of gigs to remind yes. yourself that, you know, put yourself on an open mic situation and all of a sudden you're just one of the other open mic. Yes. One of these. Do you know what I mean? It's just context, you know, it's like we played at the Royal Albert Hall last year and it was amazing, but it's because you're in the Royal Albert Hall. All of a sudden you're a band that plays in the Royal Albert Hall and then the yes. next day, you're playing in a sort of toilety, sticky box venue, yes. you know. <laughs> and so it's just... It, it's a way it's of good. grounding, have, I suppose. Keeping Definitely. The, it's totally a way of grounding. And then you can connect with the people differently. Every room, every shape, every different size and shape room and different audience that comes make a di- makes a different kind of ecosystem for that sort of exchange to happen in. And it's just really great when it's different every time. So I love myself a CD. I still get my oh, CDs, a budget for my CDs every month. I like the booklet. Yeah. For me, it's an energy exchange between myself and you guys for all the hard work, creative, et cetera, et cetera, that you do. Physical is making a massive comeback. As we know, vinyls, mm-hmm. cassettes, CDs are growing and growing and growing again. I'm very excited mm-hmm. about that. But we also have these <laughs> digital platforms where people yeah. consume music. Your thoughts on the digital and the music environment and ecosystem where we are currently? Mm, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because each one has its ecological repercussions that aren't ideal. So it kind of depends a little bit. Because, I mean, the way I see it and the way I kind of go about my listening practice is I love listening to tapes, CDs and records. And the things I love and listen to over and over again, I'll get on those formats. Tapes are usually like mixtapes or, you know, not I don't buy very many tapes, but I do sometimes. Anyway, records and CDs I do buy. And then for stuff that I'm just sort of finding out about or being recommended or just giving a listen to, then I will stream it and and uh, listen to it online. And then if I like it enough, then I'll buy it. But it's tricky, isn't it? It's really hard how to consume anything in this day and age because there's so many of us. Mm. Like it's not, it wouldn't work if every single person on the planet only bought vinyl or only bought CDs. But it also wouldn't work if every single person on the planet was only ever streaming music because servers are a nightmare. Like it's just sort of a big chugging monster that's sort of, you know, melting all the ice caps or whatever. So it's sort of, it's really hard to know what to do. What I also actually enjoy <laughs> is Bandcamp because <laughs> you can down, because you can download the files and then you can listen to it offline. And I just feel happier when i'm not connected to the internet yes so that's i like that sort of thing as well i like i like not being online but if i do have to listen to it in a digital format then then i can 
it's uh, yeah it's really hard isn't it because there's a lot of land fill out there and a lot of i think we need to sort of yeah think about how responsible we're we're being it's hard isn't it david attenborough i feel like i heard an interview with him once and someone said what is the one advice you could give to the world in order to make things better and he just says don't waste yes like waste is a problem so if we can if we just bear that in mind and everything we do and everything we buy, we just really try and avoid waste. Like don't mm. buy stuff you don't need and don't buy stuff that's in packaging you don't need. Don't buy a record you don't need. Don't leave a load of HD streaming stuff all the time that you don't need. Just like if we can downsize this, what we need. I For think me, we, like with my CDs, they, I mean, I've got a number. I don't buy all CDs, but I've got mm-hmm. my favorites. And then they're in yeah. <laughs> the CD case. I'm the only one who's allowed to touch them. It's they listen to. So like I keep them clean and pristine and all that kind of stuff. I it it's everything's locked nicely. So it, it doesn't go to waste in the sense that I'm keeping them, you know, like golden. <laughs> so yeah. And it brings you joy and they're yeah. in good condition and there it's an archive. I, yeah. I'm someone that's really, I've got quite archivist tendencies. Like I always want to sort of keep things, file them away and refer back to them. So yeah, I, I totally get that. And also one thing I've been thinking about recently is that people are really into these days, there seems to be a lot of pressure or something, buzz, whatever it is, about not having things and minimal living and whatever, yeah. which is which is totally fine. But I think the realistic offshoot of that is that it kind of encourages this landfill mentality of like, I'm not going to keep that. Even if I need it again one day, I'll just buy another one because I don't need it today. Like there's this kind of, yes. like in order to have a sort of empty house, I mean, I'm saying that, look, you can see what's behind me, <laughs> all the things I might need one day. Yes. But I, but I do feel like there's a balance to be found between, obviously we don't want to consume and have things we don't need. But I also think that there's a lot to be said for having things that you can use and mend and like replace and stuff rather than just go and buy a new one, order it on Amazon. You know, I've got a lovely empty minimalist sort of designer house and I don't need to worry about anything because I can just order it on the internet. Like that doesn't feel like a very sustainable, responsible way to behave. So (laughs) moving back to the music now. Yes, um, let's do that. I love this game. And I recognize if I had to ask you this question in five minutes, five days, five months, five weeks, I know your answer would be different every time. And exactly. I understand that's good, yeah, good, good small print to mention. <laughs> so if you had to push play to five songs by other artists once we have finished this conversation, what would those five songs be and by whom? Okay. After this conversation, five songs. Uh, what am I listening to recently? I Just this morning, I got into a total Steve Malcolmus um groove so today i'm feeling quite steve malcolmously so i would probably press play on ah i'm gonna have to ask jesse what it's called what or you might know what it's called what's the song that goes we can't help you is it called or something like that it's on the album with a sort of spirally pattern on anyway it's such a great song i love it that one, I can't remember the words. Okay. <laughs> we'll get the listening audience to Google it and find it for there themselves. Shazam, then... what I just did, and you'll find it, no problem. <laughs> so that song will be number one. Yes. And I've got to think of some other ones. Also, um, I'm really into this French band at the moment called Belvoir, and it's a duo. 
and they're really political and really high energy and just make such exciting, great, groovy music. And there's a song of theirs called Les Incendies and it's got such a great bass line and it's brilliant. So that would be number two. Number three, what would it be? It would be Heart Emoji by Richard Dawson because I just think he's a genius his melodies, his guitar playing. It feels like you're, he's playing the guitar with your ribs. It so sort of gets you right in your core. And he's just a master storyteller. And this song in particular, just a really nice um, kind of looking at someone's life through their eyes. And it's really sad and touching and moving, but beautiful. So that's number three, was it? Yeah, two more. Okay, great. Well done. So I've got to keep count. <laughs> number four would be um probably Joni Mitchell raised on robbery because yesterday I listened to a radio program about Joni Mitchell and it reminded me that once I performed this song at an event in Bristol and I was like I've got to learn I've got to relearn that song and so I'd put that on because I want to relearn raised on robbery okay because she's also a great storyteller and so good at she's really good at starting a song with like a line like he said and then the whole song is just like someone else's story through their voice and it's so lovely number five it would be i don't know what it's called because it's in welsh but i'm just going to quickly look it up and see if i can work out how to pronounce it but it's a super furry animals song off that um album that i think is called mung m-w-n-g and it's got such a brilliant or like a little reed organ and it it sort of messes around with where the first beat of the bar is in a way that I love. Not that one. Oh, yeah, it is that one. So it's called Pan Dar War. I don't know. Okay. Look, that's how you spell it. P-A-N-D-D-A-W apostrophe R-W-A-W-R. And it is a total tune, and I <laughs> and it's great. And at the end, at the end, it's sort of the the first beat of the bar shifts. They just add a little beat in so that the the placement of the organ shifts. Mm. And it is such an uplifting, amazing <laughs> moment. It's great. I saw them play it live at Green Man Festival when they played. Oh my god, I was in pieces. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool list. Um, I need to check some of those out. I don't know all of them, so I'm going to check some of them out. So thank you. Okay. So the podcast is listened to throughout the world. So as a final Mm -hmm. message to the listening audience, what would you like to say? Well, I think just sort of one thing that I feel like everyone needs to always remember, and and this is a big assumption because people might already remember this, so I Mm -hmm. don't want to assume that people aren't remembering this, but Mm -hmm. just in case we've forgotten, because often I forget, just compassion. Just like you don't know what other people are going through in their life. And if they're a bit of a dick, it's probably because they're having a really hard time. Mm -hmm. So you just got to be kind and patient and... Don't waste things. David Attenborough. 